I did not make that. God bless whoever made that. That was amazing. Uh, I'm going to... Oh, Versavia made that. God bless you. <laughs> um, praise be to God. Amen? Um, I, as the last song was playing, I, I took a photo of the chorus, and I love how well it ties into the whole message, but it says that, how many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? The gospel seems to be just a story to a lot of people. The Bible tells us that some people, you know, to some people it's foolishness. To others, it is life. It is what gives them hope. You know, to a lot of us, it seems like we grow up and we're Christians and we're, we're taught things. We grow up, you know, learning the stories of the Bible. And to us, we know Noah as a real person. We know all these amazing stories. And yet so many times, even us Christians that grow up in Christian homes, we seem to struggle with a lot of the issues that unbelievers struggle with. And if you guys were at the service on Sunday, um, the statewide service, um, it was, I loved the, the part that the main speaker brought up was how he was saying that we're not immune. He kept using that word. He was saying that we're not immune as believers to the schemes of the devil. And I know a lot of times, I mean, I've, I've heard this. I know you guys have probably heard this, but the PKs, right? Pastor's kids. You know, sometimes they have not the best reputation. In the sense of, we know that Satan loves to target those who either have a, a purpose in their life, who have had a purpose put on them. We see how many times, like now we're talking about, like we've heard about, like talking about loneliness or we constantly hear more and more of these stories of the greats or the people who were, you know, doing so many amazing things, struggling and having struggles. And it shows that none of us are, none of us are able to get away from the schemes of the devil. None of us are able to be freed completely from, like, the, the, thief, the thief who only likes to look to steal, kill, and destroy, which is Satan. And the gospel is such a beautiful story when we take it and make it personal to ourselves. Um, I'm going to go and let's see if the clicker works. Oh, there you go. Wait, did it go once or twice? We had the Bible reading read out of Luke. Uh, this is Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to go over it, but I have a part that I, I want to go over. And let's just, I'm going to open up to Luke chapter 2, verse, um, so ver Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and I'll read 11 as well. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal that Jesus came to this earth? Why is it a big deal that a Christ is born to us? Why is it a big deal? A lot of us, we hear it over and over, and it becomes kind of cliche where you hear it, you go hear the play, the play is the same thing, and we 
we tend to get very used to what we hear as believers because it's very repetitive, right? And a lot of times you might hear preachers, they preach on the same thing. I don't know if you guys know Paul Washer, but he constantly preaches on, on the gospel and how we're sinners. And, and it's like sometimes you're like, man, like, do they get sick of saying the same thing over and over? But the truth is that we as people, we need to hear things over and over because we forget I know for myself, I, I probably have forgotten more than, than I know. Like there's a lot that we learn, but a lot of it we just tend to brush over. And how many times do we go through the Bible and how much actually sticks? I heard a preacher say, it's not important how many times you go through the Bible, but it's important how many times the Bible goes through you. And in my experience, if one verse goes through you, it can change your entire life. I know for me, I, I was in the Christmas play for a few years, and if you guys are, I know some, um, well, actually, they're probably, right now, they're practicing for the Christmas play, but for me, I've done it so many years, and it was kind of like a repetitive thing, you know, you kind of like, oh, you act it out, and I started getting the narrator part, and at first, I was a little nervous, and it was a lot of parts, but praise God, you know, you memorize everything, and I remember last year when I did it, it was kind of like last minute, but I had everything memorized. I remember being up on the top, the top right and the part where John is like, and on that very, okay, I'm sorry. And on that very night, Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, was born. And as I was up there and I was saying it, it became so real to me. And I said it countless times. I had it memorized. I, I talked about it. I, you know, this was, I would recite these parts, driving in traffic, and I would say it over and over and as I was standing there, it just became so real to me that Christ our Lord was born in a manger. And it just, I was, I was up there and I had my, my whole beard on and everything. And so, you know, I, I shed a tear, but nobody could tell. And my voice was pre-recorded. So I had no like of a, you know, shakiness in my voice. But a lot of times we get used to the story. And especially sometimes the most important stories of Easter of Christmas, and the big points that I want to bring up are that Jesus humbled himself, and that he came down from heaven. Those two kind of tie in together, but we don't understand the, the depth of this. We don't understand how much this really means. If you look at other religions, and if you tell them that God came to earth to die for people that he created, they call that heresy. They say, you're crazy. What kind of God would turn into a man and become, become one as what he has created? And if you sit there and ponder it, sometimes it's too much to even process, too much to think about, but Jesus coming to this earth and humbling himself to become a man is to such an extreme of humility that we cannot grasp it. We cannot understand it. And in heaven, I believe that we will begin to open up more and more of this truth, and God's going to begin to reveal more and more of it to us, and it's going to be such a depth that we'll never, begin, we'll never have an end. It'll never finish. Because when Jesus shows you who he is, when Jesus touches you, you're never the same. And we'll talk about more of this later on, but in the same way Jesus also humbled himself on the cross, his whole life on this earth was humbling himself, was 
trying, was living a life of ultimate example of how to fulfill the law. We're not going to get into all of that, but I want to, I want to talk on a few points. I feel like a lot of times what happens with the things that we get told over and over um, is about the, the whole picture of a manger, right? So I have a, I have a picture, or maybe, oh, okay, there you go. I have, I have this picture right here, right? It's, it's beautiful, right? Look at this. It's like, you look at it, it's, it's so gorgeous. You see, like, the Magi, the shepherds, you know, everybody says that, like, the difference between, like, the Magi came later and whatnot. But anyway, it's a beautiful picture, right? And you look at it, and when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about where my Lord and Savior was born. And when I look at this picture, it's beautiful. Yes, it's gorgeous. But I went to, I went to Europe this year, and I've, I've been a couple years ago. And I, I've been to real stables. I've been to real barns. And, and this right here, wait, it just skipped. No, let's go back. Sorry. This right here is gorgeous. I would sleep in this. Wouldn't you guys? Look how comfortable the hay is. Everything looks so pretty. The, the sheep, you could cuddle with that sheep. It looks like a stuffed animal. Everything looks so beautiful and gorgeous. But it takes away from where Jesus came. It takes away from the reality of the humility of Jesus Christ coming to this earth and being born to a stable. When I was in Moldova, yes, okay, you know, there's like stables and you're like, you know, you can walk in there. Some, they clean them pretty good. They have to, otherwise you wouldn't be able to walk around. But the stench, the smell, for, for like the, these stables or like these stalls or these areas where they keep these animals, they get cleaned out, you know, so that the animals don't have like, if, if an animal stays in its own manure for a long time, they get all sorts of diseases and this and that. So that's why they clean it out because they have to. But when I look at this picture, I'm like, wait, like this doesn't resemble anything at all to what I've seen. And we can skip to the next, the next portion. I want to show you guys a little example of a, of a stable, of a, of a barn. Okay, okay, this one. This is, it's a hard picture to see. I was thinking of bringing up the shadows, but you can still kind of tell. You can see how it's all just rustic. It's old. It's, I've seen something similar to this, but there's no animals living in this one. The one that Jesus was born in, there was animals. There, there were animals around Meaning, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't beautiful. Stables were not meant to be beautiful. That's why everybody went to the inns. That's why everybody went to different homes. That's why everybody flocked and paid money to go to these inns. And it, nowadays, you know, we're, sometimes we get a little bit more stingy with money. You know what? I'm going to go with, like, instead of taking first class, I'm probably going to go. I mean, I'm, I don't know. First class is, like, way too expensive. But let's say, for instance, instead of going business class, you go something cheaper. Or hotels, right? Instead of going to like a motel, you'll go to a hotel because motels are a little sketchier, right? I had my horrible experience this year going to Kentucky and it was the only motel in the area and I just, I asked for a different room and I was like, oh, I wish I stood in that first room. But like, we, this is where us humans live. But Jesus Christ, born in a manger, Right? He humbled himself. When we look at the, past, the last picture, it doesn't bring almost a sign of humility. I'm just talking about in human terms, not even to the extent that God himself became a man 
that itself is to such an extreme, it's so hard to explain. It's like you making something and that clay beginning to move and like, even that doesn't depict it because we're still humans, we're still broken, we're fallen, we're sinners. But God being perfect took on the body of sinners and came to save us. We'll keep talking on this, we could go to the next picture. Um, this is a, a, well, this is a feeding trough, but it's, it's pretty much a manger in, in a sense. A, a manger is where animals feed from. And this here is a very, very used feeding trough. You never know. You never know. It's probably like for pigs or, and it's messy. It's not clean. It's not, the wood's not made perfect. I don't know if you guys have seen the Christmas play one. I'm not saying they have to, you know, dirty it up, but I'm just saying like, you know, a lot of times they're made perfect, but used feeding troughs or used mangers are dirty. The animals will chew on them. They're not very smooth anymore. And I have, um, we have rabbits and I know for the longest time we have like these bigger bowls for all the little bunnies and they keep sleeping in there and the food and you're just like, you take them out and you're like, come on, you know, don't do that. And you, you have to like, they'll even go to the bathroom in there and you're like, are you serious? Like, I'm trying to feed you. You're not real. Like, come on, we have to make, make this an agreement or else I can't give you as much food because you're just going to ruin it. Right? And you're like, animals don't understand to that extent. So they're not clean with what they have. The point of me talking about all of this is the fact that Many of us don't really understand and know what a manger is like. And we don't really understand. I'm just trying to depict an image in, in physical terms and, and the reality of where Jesus was born so you can begin to actually look into who Jesus was. We, we have it good. We have a lot of things good. We have entertainment to more than we can handle we have comfort more than we desire. Our needs are all met and our wants beyond our wildest dreams many times. And it, it keeps us in this state of not even trying to ponder on these things of, of the gospel or even trying to ponder on who Jesus was or what he did for us. Not even trying to ponder Jesus, what did you do for me? Why is it such a big deal? Like, I remember being a kid, and I always thought that, you know, oh, once you sit or hit a certain age, you just become Christian. That's what my thought was when I was younger. And for me, I was just like, I, I never talked to my parents about it, but my parents, you know, they were, they were Christian. They'd go to church. A lot of times I came to church. I didn't like to sit, like to be in church. Actually, this used to be translation, and I would sit in the back there, you know, and I, I you know, praise God, I didn't get a phone till I was 16, but... I'm just like, I, I see how passive I was. And I'm just saying it this way because that's who I was. I see how passive I was and this beautiful message, this gospel, meant nothing to me. It was foolishness. I was of the world. The Bible tells us that the gospel to the world is foolishness. They think it's crazy. Your Jesus was born and laid in one of those. You know, we, we don't comprehend it. We don't grasp it. Let's skip to the next slide. I need to try the thing with the, you know, sometimes you do it with the keys, it works. But Just as Jesus was born in a manger, in an animal barn, he also wants to be born in you. That same way, the same way that we take 
the manger and we depict it and we think it's so beautiful, I want to explain to you guys that that's the same way that you guys see your hearts. This is the same way that I saw my heart. I thought my heart was good. I thought I was a good kid. You know, I, I was part of a lot in church and I tried my best to not cuss around people because that's what I used to do. And I held it all in and I was, I was a good kid. But my heart was dirty. My heart was the second manger, not the first one. And I didn't see myself as that. I took myself and I looked at the Bible and I said, oh my goodness, look at these Pharisees. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they thought of themselves so self-righteous. And I never pointed a finger to myself until Jesus touched me. And he showed me that, Joe, the reason I came to die was not for the people who think they're healthy. I thought I was healthy. I thought I was good. I thought my heart was clean. And Jesus said, I came for you who is broken, who is hurting, who is ashamed of the things that they've done, who are broken and hurt, who think that there was no hope for them. Jesus is like, I came for you. Then that dirty manger, he's like, I want to come into your heart no matter how dirty it is. And I want to be born in you. That is the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ humbling himself and becoming a man. And to some of you, it's flying over you. And to others, it's touching you, but it shows that God never gives up. I was only really touched by the gospel when I was, when I was 19. And, and it, took, it took a long time for God to get to me, but it was, I was so proud in so many areas. And it was because I was a good kid. I didn't do the really bad things that everybody else was doing. And only like some of the things that the kids were doing that were bad in high school, I only tried them. I didn't fully do them. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a good kid. I'm a Christian. I never talked about God in school because it was embarrassing. But when God made himself real to me, it, it broke me. And you, you can never be the same because once you taste of God and you see who he is, you begin to, no matter how bad you run, you begin to try to crawl to him. You begin to try to walk to him no matter how times you stumble. Though a righteous man may fall seven times, he will get up. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, is this, yeah, this is it, actually. Why do we need to have an encounter with, the, with Jesus? Psalm 34, 8 through 14. Let's open up to that. If you guys have your Bibles, please do. I will try to read through this, um, or... Just to save time, I'll go ahead and just read my highlighted portions. This is Psalm 34. I'll read 8 through 14, and then I'll also read 18. And it says the following. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints. There is, none, there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. We need to have an encounter with Jesus. We need to know who he really is. 
Why, is, why are the people around you so excited about Jesus? Why are there people listening to, like singing songs and they're so happy? Why is it that Christians, true believers, why is it that they have so much hope? Why is it that they, they, go, they go against the world? Why is it that they die? Like in, and we think of the Colosseums, how so many of them were dying in, in the eyes of others and they were being mauled by lions. These things we don't ponder on because we're too focused on the things of nowadays. But we look at the martyrs, even in the Bible, how Peter died, how Paul, like we look at all these examples and why don't we ask why? Or sometimes we do, but we don't wait for the answer or sometimes we do and, or we act like, Pilate, we say, what is truth? And we walk away. We don't even let Jesus explain. We act like we're interested or we act like we want to know, but really deep down, we desire the things that aren't good, the things that are evil. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus is, although you walk away from him many times, he's still there. And he's waiting for that opportune time to where you are broken, where you are in need of him. And in that moment, he will not leave you alone. He will not desert you. Jesus changes us, and seeing the love of Jesus and what he did to us breaks us. By breaking, I mean that it shows us who we are as sinners in contrast to Jesus, and it makes us desire to want to know more of him. Paul is an example of this. Paul is an example of someone who encountered Jesus and was changed completely. He went from murdering Christians into being a believer himself who went and preached the gospel. If you think of that story alone, I, I don't think we understand the, and I keep coming back to this, but we don't understand the, the depth of these, of Paul who was murdering Christians and thought he was doing good for God. And in a moment, he became, he became a believer and he, he began to, to preach Christ. He began to tell others about Christ. And now we, we read of him in the Gospels and we don't seem to, to realize the depth of this meaning. Let's go with the next slide. Repent. You guys are probably wondering, I thought he was preaching on repent. I'm getting there. But repent. When we think about repent, we think of John the Baptist. He said, repent, repent. You know, turn, repent means to turn away. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was preparing a way for Jesus Christ to come. Repentance is a turning away from our sin, from turning away from our old ways, the ways that we used to think, the ways of the world or the things that we were wrapped up in. And when we begin to turn away from those things and follow Christ, that is a turning away. That is a repentance. And some of us, we might think that repentance is a one-time thing. We might think that, you know, I repented once or I, you know, some people, the gospel nowadays that's being preached and a lot of times is, you know, pray this little prayer and, you know, you'll be saved. Or say these few words or, and God will, will come into your heart and he will change you completely. But they go living the same way. There's no change and it doesn't make any sense because Jesus cannot stand with evil. Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. He cannot be with that which is corrupt. So when he comes into your heart, 
he means to transform it. So if you believe you have repented and you are still living in sin, if you are still living in rebellion to God, if you do not desire the things of God, check again. See that you are bearing fruits of repentance, fruits that are being brought in you. When I'm saying that, you know, if you are still in sin, I'm talking about, I'm not talking, like, we're all sinners, we're all broken, and we're all working through the things we are. I don't want to, you know, not bring that up. What I'm, my point, what I'm saying is that if your heart doesn't ache when you, when you fall short of the glory of God, when your heart doesn't burn for when you've messed up, we need to check if, if Christ has really been born in us. Because his intention is to make us new. His intention is to make us a light, right? He's not going to take a, a bruised reed or a broken candle and leave it like that. The Bible tells us that he will not put out, a, 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 um, it's like a smoldering wick, right? So like in, in a fire, when the, the fire is very tiny, it's, you still have a little, bit of a, a little bit of a kindle. And it's like that's how we are many times. We're, we're, barely, we're barely there. But it's like I remember this, this time when me and my friend Mark, we went, to, um, we went on this trip out into the woods and we gathered so much firewood and it was just so much snow. And so we had to gather. We started this big fire and we're like, man, well, we're going to wake up. It's going to be tough because we used almost all the firewood. And I remember sitting there. We wake up in the morning and we, like, you know, we get out of this little cabin that was out in the woods and um, we put this tarp so the snow wouldn't get in. So we're like, we walk out and we look out and it's all white. And it's like the most beautiful thing. We're like, we, we're like, we went to bed and it was like dark, but when we woke up, everything was covered in snow. And I remember the excitement of like, we're thinking, we're like, man, there's, we got to start a fire again, but how are we going to do this? Like, we don't have enough wood. And I remember sitting there and we're both just like excited about all the snow. And then all of a sudden I, I see, I hear Marco, Joe, and I turn around and he's like, it, it's smoldering. Like, it's like, there's a little tiny like piece of smoke coming up. And the fireplace was covered in smoke, but this little area was like heated, like the snow was melted and it was so much excitement. And in that moment, it was like, Jesus, this is how you rejoice over me when I'm barely there. And I think that I'm, I'm, I think that I'm nothing. And yet you have excitement because you know what you can build out of this little tiny kindle. And me and Mark took all the wood and we brought it together and we, we started this fire. And it became a big fire. And we're sitting there around it and we were able, you know, to make our hot dogs and cook everything that we wanted and it was something small it was something little but God used so many of these examples to try to show me we we live in a time where the only thing that'll catch fire is maybe your battery I mean I hope it doesn't but I'm saying you know like that's the only time we even hear about fires when Samson's phones were turning on fire but like for me going out into the woods for me that was a place where I can be in touch with my creator to see the things that he created and you begin to just for me, that was a place where I could see a lot of what he was speaking in his word became to life. Going and seeing mangers or being around animals or being around the things that God created, that's when I began to see God. Whoa, like, I understand this now. Scrolling to TikTok, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, like, they say that some of us are going to be upset, you know, when the reality is that we've been rubbing a piece of glass for most of our life. I was thinking about that, and I was just like, whoa. You know, it's like, sometimes we, you know, we kind of like daze off about it, but I've seen what it, I've seen what it has done in my life. 
And as many times as I've wanted to say, oh, no, 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 I just need to become a stronger Christian. I need to, you know, like, I, I need to be in the Word more, and then I'll be able, pretty much what I was saying was, I just need to be in the Word more, and then I'll be able to do what the world does. I will be able to be part of the world, and I'll, I won't be as tempted as the people of the world. And it's like, I say this now, and I'm like, man, that was so foolish. But the way I was saying it was so beautiful, right? I'm saying like, oh, look, right now I just don't have enough strength. And I would try to tell myself, you know, that I, but I, what I wasn't being honest with myself was that I loved the things of the world. That I wanted the things of the world. I desired the things of the world. They, they pleased me. They, they were beautiful to me. They gave me joy many times. They gave me comfort. I ran back to them. But what God started breaking in me and showing me was that he started working in my life. And he started changing me. And these little examples that he would show me became more and more real to me because I started to see how he would take me from the broken person that I was. My heart was dirty and filthy. Just as the mangers that are dirty and filthy. And he is born in it. And he begins a work in us. So we don't become perfect right away. Actually, I heard this today. Some, uh, my sister um, sent me a video. And... Um, I open it and I watch it and it's this, um, this pastor. It's like, you know, a lot of us, we, we come to church and we say, well, there's so many hypocrites there. And it's like, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I, we, we do that sometimes. But he's like, imagine going to the gym and be like, man, there's a lot of unhealthy people there. You know, and I was like thinking about that. And I'm like, wow, like that description itself, it shows that a lot of times we expect to go to the gym and just instant like six-pack abs or instant just fit. Like we want everything like so quick and now because... I mean, you know, I always bring this example up, but Amazon Prime is a good example. Now they have a delivery option where it's like 7 to 10 a.m. I actually do that to my nephew because he's in Georgia. I forgot it was his birthday. <laughs> Praise God for Amazon Prime, but it got there in the morning. So I'm, just, I'm not bashing Amazon, but I'm just using it as an example. Like, I'm like, man, Lord, forgive me. I forgot. But little did I know his birthday was actually the day after, and it wasn't my calendar. So the birthday party was only the Saturday. So anyway, I learned my lesson there, but I'm just saying that a lot of times we, we want things now. We want things instant. And same thing with salvation. We expect Jesus to come into our lives. And though we took years to get to the depths that we are in our lives, we, we want it to be done within a moment. We want it, everything to just be gone. But that doesn't build any faith in us. It just makes Jesus a genie. It just makes it a vending machine type of gospel. It makes us come in and we take a coin which we think that we... As people, we think that we deserve salvation. We think that we deserve and we can muster up something where God will start to say, okay, you deserve my salvation or you, you can make it into heaven. Many times we act that way. But we don't realize that the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go to the next slide. And I kind of talked a little bit on this. I know it's... Repenting is turning around. It is humbling ourselves. James tells us in, uh, it was James chapter 4. No, it was John, sorry. John. John chapter 4, verse 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it means that if, if we are proud, if we do not 
humble ourselves before the Lord. We, we don't have any hope. And the thing that seeing who Christ was and seeing where Jesus was born and beginning to the Lord opening up the reality to me, it humbled me. It showed me that if my Lord can be born in a stable, am I not able to humble myself before an almighty God? And it shows us how proud us as humans can be. And it shows us how, much, how easy it is for us to, to go one way and just backtrack and start going another way. And repentance is not something that you do once. Repentance is a lifestyle. It means change your way of thinking, change your way of perceiving things, change your way of acting, your way of talking. It means turn away from those things to begin to pursue Christ. It is a daily repentance when we begin to see the Holy Spirit, when it is born in us, it begins a work in our lives. And we begin to get convicted of things in our life. And those things, when we begin to see them, we repent of them. We say, Lord, I want to repent Help me to turn away from these things. Help me to stop being the way that I am. It is the power of the gospel that shows us, us as people, how weak we are, that we are sinners, that we are broken, that there is no good in us. No one is exempt at all. None of us are. Even those of us who think we're the best. Even those of us who haven't committed the great sins so what we think. We think that I haven't fallen as far as others. But I always remember the story of Jesus talking about the woman who was washing his feet. And she's sitting there and washing his feet with the... And one of the Pharisees is just thinking in his heart. And he says, if Jesus knew who she was, he would not let her wash his feet. But Jesus tells him, he says that, for, he tells them a story of, you know, the two people who were forgiven. One was forgiven more, one was forgiven less. And the, the gist of the story, the main point of it was that Jesus was trying to show him that those who have been forgiven much love much. And that, that story contradicted, I was like, God, but how does that make sense? Because to me, I was like, we've all been forgiven much. And so what Jesus was really trying to say is that those who have seen how much that they've been forgiven, that's, who, that's how we end up loving so much. And seeing who Jesus is in our lives, seeing how much Jesus has done for us, that's how we begin to, to see how much he's done for us. And that's therefore how our love begins to grow. And so when you begin to see how much of a sinner you are, when you begin to see how broken you are and how much of a failure you are, and then you begin to see how perfect Jesus is and what he did to be born in you, to come and humble himself, to be born in a dirty manger, and that dirty manger resembles your heart. Your heart, which is dirty, it is filthy. And Jesus wants to be born in us. He wants to be born in that, in that manger, in that place that's been destroyed by, by the things of this world. And he wants to make it new once again. But you cannot accept Christ if you don't see what he did for you. You cannot turn from your sin if you don't see how good God is. You have not tasted and seen that he is good if you are still chasing after your sin. So instead of focusing so much on your sin, which is bringing you further and further away from him, why don't you put your focus on Christ? 
and say, Jesus, help me to see who you are. Help me repent if I see something in my heart that you're showing me of pride, of unforgiveness, of greed, of selfishness. The list goes on and on. We'll never be exempt. We'll never run out of things to repent of. If God shows us pride, say, Lord, forgive me. I repent in this area. And we turn and we make way for Christ to come into our hearts in that area. Repent. Make way for Christ so that he can enter into your hearts and be born in it. The only thing that keeps Jesus out of our hearts is ourselves. It's our pride. It's us. It's only when I started to see that I was the problem. That we are born in sin. And I remember there was somebody I was once talking to. And, and to me, you know, this he's a younger kid, and I was, I was talking to him, and he was such a sweet kid, and I was like, God, like, how can, how can this kid, you know, like, uh, children, when they're small, they seem so, like, they're so perfect, and I remember this kid telling me, like, you know, asking me some questions, and, and I was like, man, the gospel almost seems hard to, to tell him, like, that, you know, that he's a sinner, and, and, because, to be honest, if you try to tell somebody that they're a sinner, they're, you know, now, sometimes they, they see themselves as pretty good, right? And sometimes we try to say that to them, you know, because the reason why we try, we say, you know, I've, like, we try to bring up the Ten Commandments, and we say, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you this, this, this? But many times that doesn't even do the trick, because a lot of times the people that we're comparing ourselves with is with Hitler and Stalin and all these, the biggest murderers in history, right? We think that, that that's bad. But the grandma down the street, we don't, we don't think she's too bad. But I'm sorry, but both the grandma, on, in, on the grandma down the street and Hitler are going to face the same judgment. And if that grandma doesn't have Christ, and when you're a kid, it doesn't make sense. You say, but God, how? You know, like, how is it that somebody who is, who is so, like, same, you know, who's doing good, who's good, how is it that you're just going to cast them into hell? But it's pride, and that's something that only Christ can show us in our hearts because sometimes we think of ourselves as that good and perfect person. And that's what pride does. It doesn't let you see the gospel for what it is. Because the beauty of Jesus is that when we see as who we are as sinners, we begin to see Christ as the Savior that he is. And that when Jesus comes to take us, that it's not going to be our crowns that we're parading and saying, look what I've done. But it's us taking our crowns and throwing it at the feet of Jesus and saying, look at what he has done. That's a beautiful picture of what the gospel is. And this, this kid that I was talking to, I was sitting there and trying to explain to him how he is, he's not good, that he's, he's not perfect. And, and it almost like it was sad to see, but I was like, I started seeing him tear up. And I was like, I was like, hey, like, what's wrong? And he's like, he's like, I, like he started seeing that, because he was telling me how he stole something, and he started seeing that that was evil. Something as little as that, and he began to, to weep over it. And he started to see how he was disobedient to his parents, 
And he started to see how every time when he would get angry, he would, he would lash out and he would cry about it. And he'd say, I, I don't know why I'm like this. And I was telling him, I'm like, it's because we're born sinners, but we have a hope. And that is the hope that we have is in Jesus, who was born in a stable, who has humbled himself to come down to our level. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means there's no one who has not fallen short of the glory of God. So if you think that somebody doesn't need the gospel, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs the good news. And if we go to, do we could just go to the last slide. Let's just repent. That's all I have left to say. Repent for what John has said. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and make way for Jesus in your heart. Turn away from your sins. And if you desire evil, if you desire that which is against the word of God, don't, and don't stop there. Look unto Christ and say, Jesus, what was it that you have done that I don't see? That is a cry that Jesus will not. He will not just leave that cry there. He comes to those who are brokenhearted. He comes to those who are in need of him. And he gives us that promise. And that is the beauty of the gospel, that we can turn from relishing sin, loving sin, being sinners, doing the things of the world, acting like the world, being like the world, unto being believers and beginning to do the things that we were once taught as children, wondering, parents, why are you guys teaching me this? You know, this isn't going to make me holy. This isn't going to make me a believer. But a lot of times, our parents, are, their hearts are with good intention. Their intention is to keep us pure. Their intention is to keep us perfect so that when we do meet Christ, we don't regret a lot of our past decisions. A lot of times we look at our parents and we think that they're trying to do bad for us. But when they put restraints around us, that's something that I learned in my life was the restraints that my parents put around me, that was the grace of God. And it's, when you begin to see that, you begin to be like, ah, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, mom, I'm so sorry. And it's embarrassing to go up and say, like, I, I remember just going up to my parents and being like, you know, thank you guys for, like, forcing me to feed the animals every day. Because I was like, I hated doing that. But like, I see that, you know, it teaches me responsibility. And you go up, you tell your parents that. And they're like, oh, like he finally realized, you know. Because like, for so many years, you resent them. Like, they made me do this. They made me do that. But it's like, God is willing for you to hate him, to think that he's somebody that is forcing you to do good, that is forcing you to do things that you don't want to do. He's willing to wait until you say, God, thank you. Thank you for putting me in a Christian home. Thank you for the person that spoke the gospel to me. Thank you for giving me life, true life, and for showing me that there is joy outside of sin, that sin is only for a season good, but that it brings, it brings sorrow and pain and so much suffering. But I want us to remember that Jesus humbled himself to such an extreme that even if we ponder on it for years, we still would see new and new measures, new depths of what he did for us. And so let us have our life be a life of repentance, a life saying, Lord, I repent for this. I, I've seen this now. You've shown a light on this. Help me repent to turn away from it and to pursue you again. 
And if I see pride in an area of my life to say, Lord, help me repent. Like say, Lord, I repent in this area. I want to turn away from it. I want to be made new. I want my heart to be cleansed. If you don't see the beauty of the gospel, if for you it is foolishness, if you think that the stories of the Bible are, are foolishness, if you think that those things, don't be ashamed, but be honest with yourself. And don't lie to yourself saying that, you know, like deceiving yourself, thinking that you believe these things, but be honest with God. Because Jesus was the most gentle with those who, you look in the Bible, the woman that committed adultery, he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he said, woman, leave. I do not condemn you, but he said, go and sin no more. Or the woman at the well who was honest with him, he said, you know, she rejoiced because Jesus gave her hope. But the people who Jesus was hardest against were the Pharisees who thought they were good, who were self-righteous. And I only say these to get you to go and to dig into these scriptures, to try to find this and say, is this true? But Jesus will be gentle on you. And when he rebukes you and corrects you, it's because he loves you. And it means that you are a child. And so James tells us that rejoice when you are going through struggles, when you are going through trials, for it is a test that is going to give you endurance. It's going to build you up as a Christian. Repent. It is a beautiful thing to be able to repent because we still have the ability to. Let's all please stand.